You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany Sermon Series, Stories of Jesus, New Life, and a New Family. In this series, we see that those who respond to the stories of Jesus are welcomed into the family of God, receiving new identity, new power, and new purpose. Now, hear the word of the Lord. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that was thrown into the water and caught fish of every kind. When the net was full, they dragged it onto shore, sat down, and sorted the good fish into crates, but threw the bad ones away. That is the way it will be at the end of the world. The angels will come and separate the wicked people from the righteous, throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning, sojourn. Peace be with you. It's about 11-year-old iPad right here, still holding strong. <laughs> uh, it's good to see you guys. My name is Jonah. I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome. If you're visiting with us, uh, today's a very important day. It's called, you've heard it already, Not Your Seat Sunday. That's not the important part, though. I am encouraged by those of you who have moved around. Very impressive. Well done. Uh, we got nachos, so this is going to be like a seven-minute sermon, so we can run. Because if you say not your seat fast enough, it transforms into nacho seat. So that's what we're all here for. Amen? Nachos. Just kidding. Not kidding. Kind of. It can be more than one thing at a time. Uh, so yeah, it's fun. Good work sitting different places. I feel like we have a new church now because I don't recognize. I get used to where you're sitting. So uh, we're uh, three weeks into talking about these stories that Jesus told. And we've been saying how he's telling stories as a way of helping us understand what it means that there's a new way of life available to us. We get to be a part of a new family, and there's a new way of life inside of that family. And uh, up to this point, if you were paying attention, maybe subtly, the emphasis on the stories has been on God. So it's been, you know, the, the parable of the sower or the farmer. So we've been learning about what God is like and what is he doing to create this family? Some of you maybe grew up listening to these stories and what, they're, what they have to say about you. And I'm not saying they don't have anything to say about you, but the main thing they're talking about is things about God. And then secondly, in each one of the stories, we've been talking about this big kind of abstract concept called the kingdom of heaven, but the ways that Jesus has been explaining it have been in really earthy, everyday, ordinary ways. So he talks about plants a lot. He talks about farms and harvesting, really familiar ideas. And so he's talking about, you know, what is the kingdom of heaven? Kind of a simple way of understanding. It's life with God. It's relationship with God. It's, it's following the rule of God. And that's kind of an abstract, strange concept for some. And the way Jesus invites us to help understand that is through these everyday, really ordinary examples. And so he does this again, but the focus is shifting away from 
God and more so, how do we respond now that we've heard this invitation? Each one of the stories are in essence saying, what is the kingdom of God like and how do I respond to it? So we, we got a couple of stories the last few weeks about God and now we get one that talks about how we are to respond. And so I just am so tickled by Jesus because wouldn't it be great like, if after this you could go to a nice restaurant? You all know a nice restaurant? Uh, it's actually called a nice restaurant if you're new to the area. Best French toast in the world, I think. So just imagine you're going to, uh, I mean that literally, by the way. It's shocking. It's like, a, it's like a local version of Waffle House, but the French toast is out of this world. So go check it out. So, I mean, doesn't it sound nice to go have French toast with Jesus? And you could sit down and be like, Jesus, what is heaven like? like I would be very curious. It's a big question. And in response to this, he's telling you these kinds of stories. They're meant to kind of draw you in and stir your imagination and leave you reflecting on it over time. So he gives us some rapid-fire stories here, starting in verse 44. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything that he owned and bought it. Uh, these might be some familiar stories for us. Uh, I want to point out what I think are some really interesting similarities and then one big difference. And uh, yeah, all of it, frankly, has made me a little bit uncomfortable. I'm a little bit excited. This is the second service, so we're like seven cups of coffee in. And uh, you know, Christianity to me is oftentimes a mixture of excitement and un discomfort, I suppose. So a couple of similarities and a big difference. Uh, the first similarity I, I want to point out is... And I think he's telling us something very true about being a human. So again, remember, the first stories were kind of focused on God, and now we're getting more of a human perspective of how are we to respond. And one of the first similarities I noticed is change is fueled by joy. So in the first man, it says uh, in verse 44, in his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned. Other translations, if you grab your English translation, uh, you could have a different one. You'll, you'll find it translated as things like, in his excitement, or in his joy, or from his joy, or for his joy. Uh, there's a connection between something happened that made him very excited, and so he did something kind of radical, sold everything that he had. Uh, the second man, there's something similar happening. He saw something that was so valuable, and he had to have it. So he went and did something about it. And this is incredibly human. You guys all have done something like this. Have you noticed the incredible capacity of people to change when they want something? Have you ever watched somebody change in order to get something that they want? I was scrolling Facebook the other day, and I saw a celebrity, and he was one of those celebrities that you recognize him, but you don't know his name. He's been, he was in My Name is Earl, and I think he was in Mallrats. Like he, He's this guy who's been in a whole bunch of movies, but you didn't know his name. You know the kind of guy? And in all the movies, he played like the really overweight guy. He was just very, three or 400 pounds overweight. And this video, though, of him, he was like jacked. He was in the gym, and he was all ripped. And it was a story about, so this guy is getting interviewed because he lost 250 pounds and now was like a power lifter. And they're talking about his routine and talking to his trainer. And then they finally get to the question everybody wants to know. Not so much the how did you do it, because it's not that mysterious what he did, but it's more so why did you do it? What happened that made you want to do this? And he said, 
I met a woman and I fell in love. And I knew that getting healthy gave me the best chance to spend as much time with her as possible. Right? It's, it's not like he woke up one day, he's like, I met this woman and she told me that I was eating too much. Or there wasn't some like, new information that happened. Or he wasn't like, I married this person and she made me feel so terrible about myself all the time. It wasn't that. He, he really wanted something and it moved him to change. People are made to live from desire, to pursue joy, to run after something beautiful. Think of a time that you've changed something in your life and the change really stuck. I, I would almost guarantee it wasn't guilt that made you change. It wasn't this long-term feeling of anxiety, of shame, of guilt that really convinced you to change. You wanted something or someone and you changed to get it. Both of the people in this story found something that would make them happy and they changed something to go get it. Change is fueled by joy. This new family that we're invited in, how are we to respond? Well, we're, we're to respond in light of joy. Respond because of joy. Respond because we want to be happy. We want something better and more beautiful. So first similarity, change is fueled by joy. Second is really similar to it. Sacrifice is fueled by desire. In both instances, they were moved by happiness, by joy, and in both instances, both of the stories, they sacrificed a great deal. There was real cost to get both of these things. Uh, you'll notice the phrase was repeated twice. They sold everything that they had, and that word everything in Greek, it means everything. <laughs> they sold everything, right? Like that's a, that's a big sacrifice. And again, this is both natural and something all of you have done previously. Have you ever noticed how creative we get when we really want to buy something? Have, have you noticed how suddenly we get very interested in Poshmark and eBay? Or when then you want to get a yard sale? Or have you just noticed the ability for people to let something go for the sake of getting something else and how creative we can get to try to afford something? Um, I think we, we've all, we all have done this. When, uh, it took me a long time to convince my wife to date me, about seven years, and nobody has been told, no, I don't want to date you as much as my wife has told me. But, ah, <laughs> let the reader understand. Let the reader understand. Gotcha now. Uh, and so I was a bit of an idealist when she finally started dating me. Um, the day she said, yes, I'll start dating, it was the day I started planning our engagement. Because it's like, I knew, man, I knew. And... My net worth at that time was about $70. Uh, I was travel a traveling musician sleeping in my Honda Accord, and uh, I had one possession that mattered a lot to me. It was my dream machine. It was a guitar that I had built for me. It was made from a rosewood that's now illegal to cut down. Uh, the top of it was made from spruce that had been recovered from shipping crates in Alaska. I, I spent a lot of money and a lot of time. I picked everything out about it. And then I realized if I'm going to get engaged, I need to buy a ring. And if I could go back to, you know, you don't need to spend that much money on an engagement ring, okay? Just so you know, it's not, you don't need to buy a diamond. But that was the thing, okay? That's, you had to when I was that age. And so I remember looking at me like, whoa, this guitar is surely worth more than a ring. I could sell this guitar and give my wife this thing to show her that I love her. And so I sold my guitar on eBay to some guy in Taiwan. 
and I went and bought a ring with it. I mean, this is, it was my prized possession, but I wanted something more than even my prized possession. So you sacrifice something for something that you want more. It's not always happy like that. It's not always a positive story. You hear stories about parents cashing in their retirement early and paying the penalty to cover medical bills for their kids, right? Like you hear people going to great lengths of sacrifice for the sake of something they love. Nothing motivates sacrifice like love. Nothing eases the sting of sacrifice like love and desire. It's true of all of us. Life with God is fueled by joy, and it will require sacrifice. But that sacrifice is born of desire. We will lay things down for the sake of something more beautiful, for the sake of something greater. It's fueled by desire and joy, not cold duty, not pleasing our new dad. Uh, it's love and desire that drives it. So there's totally a sober reminder here. Anybody who tells you Christianity is easy, uh, or won't cause any pain, or will never be confusing or hurt, is either incredibly naive or they're just straight up lying to you. Life is hard, and following Jesus is hard. Uh, that's, again, it's repeated in both the stories. They sold everything that they had. But the emphasis on these stories is not what they lost. It's on what they gained. So for my finance people, this is a net gain here for them. They sold everything they had because they'd found something even more valuable. So those are the similarities. We see a lot about how people work. Change is fueled by joy, and sacrifice is fueled by desire. People are drawn to what they want, to what they're longing for, to what seems valuable to them. The difference is what really started making me uncomfortable. So listen, I'll, as just a side note, if you're Bible reading or your time with God, if you never find God saying something that you disagree with, you're in big trouble, buddy, right? Because if the Bible agrees with everything that you think, you may just be worshiping a superhero version of yourself. You may have just made God in your own image. If God is the infinite, all-wise creator who's existed forever, he may know things you don't know. Amen, one, one right? We're just trying to acknowledge God is smarter than we are. And so I'll just be honest with you, this part makes me uncomfortable. Did you notice in the stories, one guy was hunting treasure and the other guy was just kind of hanging out? So you got the, the first one in verse 44. It's not on the screen, but it's in your Bible. It, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. So in my sanctified imagination, here's how I see this working out. Phil is building a roof at Jack's house. And to get to Jack's house, he's got to walk through a field. And Phil is going to work and he's checking his tools and he trips and looks down and there's a pirate treasure. And he's like, whoa, treasure in a field. I'm going to bury this and go sell my tools so I can get this whole field. You see what I'm saying? He's not He's not, you see those guys at the Falls of the Ohio with the uh, metal detector walking down trying to find, he's not, he's just doing his thing. He just discovered something hidden in the field. And then it says the other guy, he was on the lookout, verse 45, he was on the lookout for choice pearls. So you got one guy just going to work and the other guy's out looking for pearls. He's scuba diving trying to find oysters or whatever. See, the kingdom of God is so valuable that it attracts both those looking for it 
and those simply going about their day, you do not have to be looking for Jesus. One, he's not lost, right? Like, he knows where he is. He knows what's going on. But second, the kingdom is so powerful that it wins over even those who weren't interested. Think about the stories we learned about God and his seed over the last couple of weeks. It goes everywhere and it grows everywhere. There's no kind of soil where the king, that seed of the kingdom will not grow. And here we're seeing it will even change and draw people who aren't looking for it. The kingdom of God is a powerful message to the spiritual seeker, the one looking for deeper meaning in their life, and also the apathetic atheist who's just going to work. People are drawn to what's beautiful and valuable, and when they see it, they will respond to it. We're motivated by desire and by love, and when we find something to love, everything changes. This is true of you because it's true of God in whose image you are made. This is how God works. And we could, we could skip the nacho bar and spend 20 hours just going through the whole Bible right now. But I'm just going to give you two verses to help you see what I mean by this. So first, don't put it up there yet. That was a tease. So where I grew up, the, the kind of faith tradition I grew up in, if you, if you were asked, you know, why did God pursue people? Why did he send Jesus, there would be some formulation of like to, to manifest the, his infinite worth and glory to all of the world or something like that, to which I would say that's pretty true. Uh, but in, in God, just like some of you came here this morning for nachos and some of you came here for church and some of you came here for both, God can have more than two goals in mind at a time. And sometimes we create this image of God just up there kind of moving his chess pieces around and I understand where people make that case in the scriptures, and I'm not saying it's not true. I think it's woefully incomplete, though. So here in plain black and white, listen to what it says God's reason for pursuing us is from Ephesians 2. God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. What motivated God to rescue us? He loved you. To maybe take it a little step further, he wanted you. If you, you can go back to Ephesians 1 and it'll basically say, God looked out over the sea of humanity and he chose you to be adopted into his family. He wanted you in his family. Why did God go through all of this? Because he loved you. He saw something that he loved and he wanted and he went and he did something about it. Love Desire is what motivates people to action because that's what motivates God to action. Second verse, what motivated Jesus to sacrifice himself for us? Hebrews 12, because of the, somebody say the word, because of the joy. No one has ever said joy with so little energy as what just happened. Because of the joy. We'll get there, guys. 20 or 30 more years, we'll get there. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. So did Jesus go to the cross in accordance to the will of God? Yes. Did he do it to please his father? Yes. Again, he can want more than one thing at a time. It was going, here's a, I'll put this in Southern Indiana ease. It, because it was going to make him so happy, Jesus went to the cross. It seems confusing and upside down. 
It was love and joy that motivated Jesus. Hebrews will go on to say that Jesus loved God the Father so much, he wanted to give him a present. Does anybody know what the present was? You. It was a church sanctified, made pure, forgiven, redeemed, reconciled, that he presents to God the Father. I love you so much, I'm going to give you something I love as a gift. You are driven by joy and love because God is driven by joy and love. You sacrifice out of desire because that's what God did. We are fueled by desire in pursuit of joy, sacrifice born of love. If you want a new life in a new family, you must be motivated by love. You must desire something new and something better. Living in this family will require sacrifice. If you're new here, or you're like, man, I might be into this Jesus thing here for a minute, there's going to be stuff you have to lay down. And I'm thankful we're in a church that they'll look at you and be like, that's kind of dumb. You should stop doing that. That's not working for you. So I'm, It won't be an easy road. But every move of discipleship, the, the process of following Jesus is driven by joy. Even the laying down, it's a desire to know Jesus, to follow Jesus, to be changed by Jesus. So maybe to put it a little more concretely, ours is a family, so what are the family values here? We are a family that is defined by what we say yes to, not by what we say no to. And I think we've had that backwards for a long time. So when we answer the question, what does it mean to be a Christian? What if we were people who are defined that by what we are saying yes to? So culturally, what's it mean to not be a Christian around here? You vote a certain way. You say no to that person and yes to this person. You don't do this. You don't do this. You don't do this. And you don't do this. And your life is filled with this checklist of all the things that you're not supposed to do. And you do that for 15 or 20 years. And not only have you become a boring person, but you feel guilty and exhausted all the time. Do you understand that? If you live your life defined by what you're against, there's no way to remain tenderhearted. Your whole life will be scared and your whole internal world will be self-critique because there's always some rule you could have followed instead. And then you get to be 40, 50, 60, 70 years old and someone asks you a crazy question like, what do you think God feels about you? And you say, he's disappointed at me. He's angry with me. Like you come to these wildly unbiblical conclusions even though you've been in church for 20 or 30 years. You've defined your faith by what you're saying no to. You notice Jesus will never say stop doing that without saying start doing that. The language will be, put off this and put on this. There has to be something that we're moving forward into. We're a family motivated by, yes, a desire, a longing for richer, fuller, better life. So the core value of the family is Jesus. It's not, it's not so much that our life is defined by saying no to sin, and we just look around and find all the sins to say no to, as much as it is us learning to say yes to Jesus over and over and over again, to see the King in His beauty and be drawn to Him, to follow Him. We follow Him because He's beautiful, because He's satisfying, because He makes us willing to change. Guilt-driven Christianity does not work. You can get, you can get a while down the road with it, you can stop doing a couple of things and then you lay in bed at night feeling terrible about it. You know, you don't have a verse that says, if Jesus sets you free, you'll be guilty indeed, right? If you don't read the Bible, that's not what the verse says. If he sets you free, you will be free indeed. 
Come to me, and I will give you rest. Unless you want to be a community group leader. Unless you want to be in ministry. Unless you want... That's not the promise. And when I see those disconnects in my life, with what the scriptures are teaching, with what Jesus is inviting, with what's become normal in our culture, I side with Jesus. The problem is not in his promises or in his word, it's in how we've understood it or experienced it. This is the rhythm of the stories and the formula for our response. Desire drives us to fellowship. We follow because we love. By grace, you have been saved. The order is so crucial. We experience love and then we sacrifice in response of it, in response to it. Grace, then faith. This is how we follow him. Grace, then faith. Now, after these two quick stories, he gives us a picture of what this life of faith looks like. And this is the one that made me the most uncomfortable. Okay, the, the one guy not looking for it, that made me super uncomfortable. But this one made me more uncomfortable. So in verse 47... Again, this is a picture of the response after we've seen this pearl of great price. We've found this hidden treasure. We've sacrificed out of a desire for it. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that was thrown into the water and caught fish of every kind. Okay, who fishes? Let the fishermen say amen. Amen. That's so encouraging. There was one dude in the first service. So every fisherman I know goes fishing for a specific type of fish. When they go out, they don't just say, I'm going to catch some fish. They say, we're going bass fishing. I'm hoping to get a rainbow trout. When I go up to the uh, boundary waters in Minnesota, we go and get uh, northern pike. When I go fishing in the Gulf of Mexico, we're trying to get grouper and amberjack, maybe a red snapper. You see what I'm saying, though? There's a specific fish that they're trying to get. And how you fish for them, what the fish that you want, changes how you fish for them. Not in the kingdom, apparently. I wish my son was in here right now. Uh, we are more like Pokemon trainers than Southern Indiana fishermen because we've got to catch them all. You see? <laughs> he throws the net and all the fish come in. It doesn't say we got some of this kind and some of that kind. Do you see the confidence they have? We will fish for all fish at the same time. Again, this is another way of emphasizing what Jesus has said to us for weeks now. The kingdom goes everywhere and it grows everywhere. There is no kind of person where the seed of the kingdom will not apply, where it does not work. It, it works on those seeking for deeper meaning and the apathetic atheist just going to work. It, it works everywhere. So what does that mean for us then? I'm going to try to convince you to do something that right now you don't want to do, but I'm going to trick you into doing it. So I probably shouldn't have said any of that right now because the trick is up now. Okay, so listen. I understand if you've been to church for a while, somebody at some point, I'm almost certain, has made you feel guilty about sharing the gospel with somebody or winning souls or how many people have you brought to this point of decision to where it's like I've talked about evangelism from the stage, and people, you can see them tense up. You can just tell who, like, who goes back into this kind of shame spiral or something. And listen, the way we share our faith, the way we cast the net of the kingdom of God, you already do this in so many ways because it's how humans are made to work. So now I shall trick you. Um, 
Think about the last time something wonderful happened in your life. Maybe you got a promotion. Maybe you got pregnant. The baby finally came. Maybe somebody gave you an extravagant gift. Maybe an unexpected visitor came in town, a great friend from college, and you got to see him again. And what are you tempted to do when that wonderful thing happened? Have you ever noticed how many things that we really don't care about show up on Facebook or Twitter? Like, and I don't mean this to be cold-blooded or mean at all, but it's, I'll scroll through Facebook and someone will be like, OMG, these blocks at Target are only $2 today. And it's like, I don't, does anybody really care about your blocks? Like, great deal, but what's going on there? When my five-year-old, he was six now, he's five at the time, scored his first goal at Graceland Youth Soccer, my first instinct, I whipped out my phone and I got on Twitter and I was like, my son is God's gift to soccer. And I know no one but my wife and I care about, well, probably his grandparents, care about my son's soccer performance, right? It's not going to hurt my feelings. Does anyone here care about how good my son is at Graceland Youth Soccer? Right in your heart of hearts? No, you don't care. Go to a fancy restaurant, the kind where they make the food look good, not just taste good. And, and the waiter comes out and is like, you're, whatever, you're trout, ma'am, and lays it down. And watch, what do people do as soon as that food hits now? Do they dive in like, oh, blah, blah, blah. No. Do it for the gram. Why? Something wonderful, surprising, delightful happens to you, and without even really thinking about it, you just naturally go to share it. No experience is complete until you've shared it. You know this is true, even if you've never gone to an evangelism class or read a book or whatever, because you do this all the time. You find a sale on a thing your friend is interested in, and you call them without, you don't care that they're at work or whatever. Oh my gosh, you're not going to believe what happened. This is the way of our family. You didn't send that picture of your food out of duty or obligation. It was joy. In your excitement, you shared what happened to you. And some people, because they're nervous about what this means, will point to the negative side. Of, if you remember last week with the wheat and the weeds, they'll be like, well, look, there was some weed in there and Jesus came and toked it and he'll separate it at the end. And I don't, you know, we'll leave that work to Jesus or, or here. But there's bad fish in the net. If I share, a bad fish will come and Jesus is going to sort it out all at the end. And we take this kind of posture, we put it in churchy language, like, oh, I'm leaving that to Jesus at the end. Or I'm not an evangelist, I'm a this. Or we find ways to not do the normal things of our family. And those things are real. And does anyone know what they mean? I'm not really sure what all those images mean. Uh, I had a pastor one time say, he's like, I'm in sales, not management. And what, what that means is, you notice, when, did, when does the separation happen? Somebody say it. At the, at the end of the days. After the harvest, after they bring it all in, uh, at the last day. And who does the sorting? Yeah, God. Jesus and his angels. And you know, as far as I know, I have yet to see some mark on somebody's face that tells, oh, that's a good fish, that's a bad fish, that's wheat, that's weed. Uh, you know, like, I don't know. So here's some diagnostics to know if, if you're invited to share your story. Uh, first, are you Jesus? No. 
no. <laughs> if you're tempted to say yes, you can come up at the end and we'll talk about it. You're not Jesus, right? Which means you're in sales, not management. It's not your, you will not be the one doing the dividing on the last day. So first question, am I Jesus? We're all in one accord. No. Second, is today the last day? Maybe. Maybe. We've had, depending on, all, depending on your view of science and the earth, we've had 14.1 billion years worth of days or seven to 9,000 worth of days. Whichever one you pick, the probability that today is the day is pretty low. It's possible. Jesus said only God knows. So at the very least, we can say, maybe, I don't know. Fair? Fair. Okay, so if you are not Jesus and we're not certain that today is the harvest, today is the last day, then that means cast your net. Do you see what I'm saying? Leave it to Jesus to sort it at the end. But now we get, you have a word that applies to all people in all places and will work even on those who aren't interested. And I'm not saying you got to lay out this thoughtful theological deal. Do what you do at dinner. This is amazing. You're not going to believe it. You know naturally how to share a story of something you're excited about. Maybe you just need to spend some time and think about what has Jesus done in your life? If you've been following Jesus, he's shown up for you somehow. He's done something in the midst of your doubt and despair. Something's happened and you've been like, oh boy, it's real. You know that feeling? I'm not the only one, right? You have that moment, you're like, it's real. If I could bottle this 15 minutes up, it's real. Share that story. Cast your net. Fill your eyes with the beauty of Christ and what he's done for you. Love is what will change you. Love is what will fuel you. He's not mad at you for not sharing his story. You're just missing out on the joy of the family. Love is what will change you. Love is what will fuel you. Joy is what's waiting for you. So, I'm going to close real fast with a quick story that involves love and sacrifice. Um, if you've been coming to our church for a while, you know that we have church planters in Lyon, France. They're doing a really cool, meaningful, important work. Uh, in December, we said we wanted to raise money to bless them, support them, make them feel like we've got their back and we're really in it with them. So, you all were very generous and put this up now. We raised $31,032, which that's a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah, and you sh we, should, we should feel good about that. I'm not sure how many people that represents, or in you know, church metrics language, how many giving units that is. Uh, what I do think is funny is like somebody had to give like $7 or something. How did we end up with 32, you know? It's an odd number, right? Straight, how to land on that number of all numbers. Um, I find that interesting. At the same time, so we are, we are part of what's called the Sojourn Collective. So there are five local churches here in the greater Louisville area, and we share a small team of staff that does kind of behind-the-scenes work for all of the churches in town. And so there's a lady on there who's part-time who's a grant writer, and she is a bloodhound for money. She's, just, she's, like, the, she's like the farmer with the seed. She's just like throwing grant applications out, and I don't even know what all she's doing, but she's out there hustling for us. Her name's Mary, and you can thank God for Mary in your prayers. She's just out there hustling. I didn't even know that these grants were going on. So while we're raising money here, she's out hustling for grants, and we win two grants and the, to renovate our outside here, to make it feel like a neighborhood park, and if you haven't seen what's going on, there's a lot of progress going on. Phil Schaefer is leading that project, doing a great job. Um, 
So we come in, we win again two grants. The total amount that we want for the grants is $30,640. Uh, for those who are not good at math, that's a difference of $392. To put that in percentages, that's 1% different. So two, two grants that were not communicating with one another being applied for by a lady that was not in direct communication with our congregation, 1% difference from an amount of money raised by a several hundred people in a few weeks span. I don't know, how, what do you think about that? How does that, how does that make you feel? Isn't that a crazy coincidence? Is that not the least bit odd, you guys? Do you think this is just a random fluke that hundreds of people would pool resources together to unrelated grants and the numbers are 99%? How does that make you feel about Jesus? And when we, my wife and I gave some money at year end and I was nervous about it. I don't know why, but it was enough, um, it was enough money that we, I, we had to pay attention. We had to have a conversation about it. And I don't know, I was nervous about it. And then I see that and I'm like, let's do it again. I don't know. Let's keep asking him for stuff. Let's give a little bit more. Let's see what happens. Makes me want to try again. Makes me want to ask God to surprise us again. I don't miss that money one bit. I have one thought of like, you know what? We could have... For the joy set before us, we follow him. We see his great value. We're willing to sacrifice and lay down, not to please God, not to appease God, for the joy set before us. We tell stories like this. We come to communion to remember God initiates. We fill our senses with his love and his beauty because that is what compels us to respond. So we remember that the night he was betrayed, Jesus took a loaf of bread he thanked God for it and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the meal, he took a cup of wine and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant sealed with the shedding of my blood. Drink this as often as you gather in remembrance of me. So what we're remembering here is that God came and out of his love for us, he laid his body and his blood down so we could become his children, so that we could be adopted into his family. The the one who Scripture says holds all, <laughs> all the secrets of wisdom, of knowledge, of power. The one who holds the universe together by the power of his word. The one who loved you and called you out of darkness into his light. The one who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame to set you free. We fill our eyes with that and just ask, how would you respond? How would you respond to love like that? We follow Jesus because we love Jesus. See his love for you again and follow him. Our tradition is to rip off a piece of bread, dip it in wine or juice. You can wrap, um, there'll be twine wrapped around the wine and you can use whichever you'd like. There'll be two stations in the front, two in the back and a gluten-free station to my left, your right. I'll pray for us and then Christians, let's come celebrate our hope together. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook 
or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android, where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.